We're so glad to see you today. We give you a very warm welcome to our studio in Southern California. Listen, when one is continually bombarded on television, Fox News, CNN, CBS, when you're continually bombarded with the trivia and the sensational, the time soon comes when the most important thing in the world is of no consequence. Now today we're talking about something which is, these are superlatives, but it's true, something which is everlasting, all consequential, of eternal significance, and on which the fate of the world and you and me depend. We're talking today about the killing of Jesus. The killing of Jesus Christ, who was, most people would say, an obscure Jew. We're talking about the violent murder of a Jew 2,000 years ago that fixes the destiny of every person. I want you to take your Bible, please, and come with me to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 26 down to 28. Acts, chapter 4, in the Holy Bible, Acts, chapter 4, verse 26 down to 28. The Bible says, The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever, now look at this too, whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now this talks about the people who were responsible for the killing of Jesus. I want you to notice this. The actors in the drama of the ages. The Bible says the Lord Almighty was somehow involved in this. This is almost too hard to believe that God was also responsible for the killing of Jesus. It says whatever his hand had determined beforehand to do. So God was also responsible. Of course, Jesus, the Messiah, was a willing participant in his own death. It was Herod Antipas, the person, the murderer of John the Baptist, Pontius Pilate, the weak, vacillating Roman governor, the Gentiles, the Roman soldiers, and the Bible says the people of Israel. They were the chosen people. They were the people of the covenant. The Bible says the people of the covenant, the children of Israel, actually were responsible for the killing of Jesus as well as some others. Now, before we discuss the actors, my friends, not everybody believes the Bible story that Jesus even died on the cross. The Muslims, on the whole, do not believe that Christ even died on the cross. Did you know that? And now I know this telecast is going into Saudi Arabia and some other places. Most Muslims do not believe that Christ died on the cross. 
the Encyclopedia of Islam says the denial is in perfect agreement with the logic of the Quran for Jesus to die on the cross would have meant the triumph of the executioners, but the Quran asserts this undoubtedly failed. They believed that if Christ, the Messiah, had died on the cross, then the will of God would have been thwarted. And so they believe that Allah is great and Allah would not have allowed this. The Muslims, and most Christians don't, I think, understand this, the Muslims believe that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah and a mighty, mighty prophet of God. They say, peace be unto him. Of course, the state of Israel does not believe that. The Orthodox Jewish religion believes that Jesus was a fraud and an impostor. But the Muslims do not believe he was a fraud or an impostor, but they believe that he did not die on the cross. One Muslim theory is that Jesus was substituted and another person died on the cross while Jesus went to heaven. Did you know this? This is one of the big theories among the Muslims. Muslims do not believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world. They do not believe that Jesus made an atonement for the sins of the world. And of course, the Muslims are not alone in that belief. Now, we will pause and ask the really big questions. Number one, who, not who were, and it's plural, who were responsible for killing Jesus? Number two, does God understand human suffering and pain? One of the great arguments against belief in God is that if God loves us, why does he tolerate all of this pain in the world? What was crucifixion like? Christ was crucified. What was it like? What motives were involved in the killing of Jesus? And do mainstream, listen to this one, do mainstream Christians believe in slaughterhouse religion? I'll explain this as we go along. Many Christians, particularly in Southern California, say if you believe that Christ died for your sins, you believe in a pagan concept. These people believe the theory of the moral influence. How did the affairs of King David and his family 3,000 years ago help me to understand God's problem with sin? Now, David had an affair. What has this got to do with the story of Christ? David had an affair with a beautiful woman. Then later on, one of his sons raped a beautiful girl by the name of Tamar. We're going to talk about this because this will help us to understand the problem God had with sin. And why is the understanding of the death of Jesus the most important thing in the world? A million times more important than politics. Let me tell you something. 
All of the stuff you hear today on CNN and Fox and CBS and all these other things, within a few days or a few hours will be forgotten. All the stuff that we spoke about and we got so uptight about when uh, the elections were going on and people were just about ready to die for it, those things one day will be seen to be largely of no consequence. But there's one thing of consequence, and we're going to talk about that today. Who were responsible for killing Jesus? Well, come over here to Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Who were responsible for the death of Jesus Christ? Acts 2 and verse 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the, look at these words, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, by the determined purpose and the foreknowledge of God, you've taken by lawless hands, have crucified, uh, and you have put him to death. One of the most astounding passages. So the Bible says, God was also responsible for the killing of Jesus. Not the murder of Jesus, but the killing of Jesus. This was a part, the Bible says, a part of his determined purpose. So God, almighty God the Father was involved. Then it says, the people of Israel. Now my Jewish doctor, who was my close friend, said to me when the movie came out years ago on the death of Christ, the passion of Christ, he said, explain it to me. It says that the Jewish people put Christ on the cross. I said, doctor, the Jewish leaders put him on the cross. Most of the early Christians were Jews. Jesus Christ himself was a Jew. But the Jewish leaders and the mob put him on the cross. Herod, Pilate, the Roman soldiers put him on the cross. But the Bible teaches this incredible truth. I want you to think about this. The Bible teaches the incredible truth that even though all of these people, every one of them was guilty of the killing of Jesus, the Bible teaches the astounding truth that it was the sin of every man and woman that put him on the cross. Now, if you take your Bible, please, and come back here to Isaiah. Isaiah 53 and verses 5 and 6, and this is a prophecy that concerns the coming of Christ. The Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. That means he was killed for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
the awesome truth, my friends, is, friend, is this, that when Christ, God incarnate, hung upon the cross, by the act of imputation, the sin of every man, woman, and child was laid upon him. It was this massive weight of sin that caused his death in six hours, whereas a normal man could live on the cross for almost a week. And that is why they were amazed that he was dead at three in the afternoon. The poet said, "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Of all that shouting multitude, I felt that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. Around the cross, the, the throng I see, mocking the sufferers groan. Yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. So the Bible teaches every person was there at the cross because of his sins. Now we ask this question and answer it, we hope. Does God understand human suffering? This is the great argument that is used against Christianity with some validity by atheists and cynics and agnostics. If God exists, how can he understand my pain and my suffering, my depression, my bout with cancer? How can he understand the sorrow of all those people who died in San Francisco in that fire? We are horrified by images of Aleppo. How does God feel about Aleppo? We understand somewhat from the words of, I think, Studded Kennedy when he said in his poem, God cried himself to sleep last night. God sees much more than we. He saw 10,000 lonely hills, each hill a Calvary. But that, of course, is rhetoric and a bit of doggerel. You cannot understand human suffering unless you understand and believe in the Trinity. Now, come over here, and we spoke about this last week. Come over here to Philippians in the New Testament. The words of Paul, Philippians 2 and verses 5 to 8, my friends. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Paul says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. The Greek word actually means the full expression of God, the image of God, everything that God was, the image of God, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because he was, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, last week, I tried in my inadequate way to 
to amplify the great truth that is taught in the Bible that Christ is God in human flesh. The Bible teaches this. The little baby that was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary was God in human flesh. He was Yahweh Elohim come down to this earth. Now, there are some people in the Christian church who do not believe in the Trinity. But if you do not believe in the Trinity, you cannot answer the question, does God understand? Richard Rubenstein, a very earnest and a good Jewish gentleman, said this, it is impossible to believe in God after Auschwitz. No wonder. The Jewish people who were tormented by the Nazis said, so many of them said, then where is God? And many of them came to the conclusion, because of suffering, there is no God. And therefore, millions of those people have given up belief in God. But what they failed to understand was this, that Christ was God in human flesh. Now think about this. When Christ was on the cross, this was God on the cross. Christ was tortured. On the cross, he felt the pain of cancer. People say, I can't, I don't understand what you mean. On the cross, when the bolts of God's wrath were directed against him, he felt the pain and the sorrow of the entire world. He felt the despair of the atheist. A dying atheist who dies with no hope, he felt that. He felt the loathsomeness of a man who is the lowest of the low. He felt the pain of mental anguish, the defilement of evil, loneliness, despair, hatred. And the sufferings of Christ were more than we could ever understand or bear because they were the sufferings of a God. Therefore, when we ask the question, does God care and does God understand my pain? The answer is yes. Because of the truth of the cross. Can you understand why I say most of this nonsense about politics that bombards us every day is trivia in the extreme? It doesn't matter. It'll soon be gone. People will have another little toy to play with. But hanging on the cross was God. What was crucifixion like? It was the most horrible of deaths. When a person was put on the cross, he was nailed there. And usually he was roped on the cross to stop the bones from tearing out. Uh, he sat on a little pin so the body could be held there. And there was something for his feet. His feet were crossed and a nail was driven through the feet. The cross was a terrible death because the way the person was placed on the cross meant that he found it very difficult to breathe. 
So every breath was labored with tremendous pain. Now, when Christ was put on the cross, he was already starting to die because the rabble the night before had beaten him up. So he was beaten up by the religious leaders. So don't put too much trust in religion unless God is in it or else you'll be surely deceived because most religion is bad. One of the reasons so many atheists exist today, they say, look at what religion has done to the world. And I say to them, that is true. But it was not the religion of God. And I respond to them, look what atheism has done to the world. Look at the 70 million killed by the atheists in Russia and Ukraine. You say, it's not so. Yes, it is so. Been there 46, 47 times. I've studied it. The millions that died. And so the cross brought tremendous suffering to the person. He had lost a lot of blood. He was a strong young man in his mid-30s, wiry, strong, sun-tanned. After all is said and done, he was a carpenter. He was a real man, not an apology for a man. So he was dying by the time they got him on the cross, but he could still have lived for a few days because he's so strong with great tenacity. But in some way, sin was laid upon him. And this caused him to cry out, my God, my God. Now this is why the doctrine of the Trinity is so important. Because this man is God incarnate. One of my favorite authors is Dr. John Stott, who wrote the masterpiece, The Cross of Christ. Page 335, 336, Dr. Stott says, who comes from, came from London, I could never myself believe in God were it not for the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth. A remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I've had to turn aside. And, and in imagination, I've turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry, and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That, says Dr. Stott, is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain 
He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. So if you understand the doctrine of the Trinity that the Bible clearly teaches, you can never seriously doubt whether God understands pain or not because he has felt more pain than anyone here could ever possibly understand or experience. He suffered the pain of every person who had ever lived and much more because the sufferings of Christ were infinite sufferings because they were the sufferings not merely of a man, they were the sufferings of a God. So does he understand when perhaps I may feel depressed and the burden of life is too much, when perhaps I may feel discouraged or when perhaps I may be feeling sick, I can know on that occasion that God knows because Christ was God. Now, here is an important question. What motives were involved in the killing of Jesus? When people decided that they were going to get rid of this man, the leaders of the church and the common people, what were their motives? We'll answer that in our next section as we talk about the killing of Jesus. We should never say something is impossible because Jesus said, with God all things are possible. It seems impossible to think that a group of Americans, Australians, could come here to Castro's communist Cuba and preach the gospel. We're here with the permission of the Cuban government. We've got special visas so we can preach here. I've had the privilege of preaching in the most difficult places, Moscow, all across Russia, all around Ukraine, dangerous places in Africa. But this is one of the biggest miracles of all. Here we are. The Carter Report team, just a little tea. <laughs> but we're here by the grace of God, because with God, all things are possible. But God works through people. He's working, glory be to God, we believe through us. But He's also working, my friend, through you. Because of your prayers and your support, and your gifts, these people, many of them, are hearing the true gospel of Christ for the first time. So my heart is full of thanks to God and to you today. Would you please drop me a line? John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. And of course, you can write to me at Terrigal in Australia. Let's get a fire going in this country. We have established a beachhead on the shores of Castro's Cuba, a gospel beachhead, not a military one. We are the ambassadors of peace and we've come here to preach the gospel of peace. Stand with us and thank you for your support.
For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.